Hey everyone, this is Chelsea and Sean from Evolve Education Group and this is our second podcast for EC professionals in New Zealand and we've called it ECE On Air. We've received um, a ton of lovely, wonderful feedback and really, really heartwarming from Facebook. So thank you all for um, sharing that with us. Um, Thank you for taking the time to write to us. Um, It was a really new initiative, so we weren't sure where it was heading or how many people will be tuned into it, but the feedback has been awesome. If this is your first time joining us, um, this podcast is a platform for EC professionals to join in on a discussion with us and really connect um, with people in the industry through different stories, um, just thoughts, feelings, all of that. Um, We kind of like to think of it as a PD on the go. Remember, our podcast is open to anyone. So to participate, contact us on Facebook, search for Evolve Careers or email us on careers at eeg.co.nz. On that note, not all participants are from Evolve. So what our callers say may not be a reflection of our Evolve values. Going straight to our topic for this podcast, culture. New Zealand is diverse and we celebrate all cultures. Yeah, I think ECE centers um, in particular are really wonderful at incorporating different cultural practices and really, really celebrating that diversity as a whole. I think ECE teachers really do go above and beyond to provide this really unique, inclusive environment for the children and their families. It's so lovely. As lovely as that may sound, it may conflict with our ECE practices. So we wanted to hear from ECE professionals about an incident where culture made it difficult for them to do their job, or where it was a point of conflict or simply just a learning curve. How have you changed your ways to include these cultural values, or was it just too difficult to accommodate? Let's go into our first call. Hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. It's a bit odd starting any conversation without saying, what's your name and where are you from? Yeah, that's all good. I can roll with it. Yeah, no, cool. So what kind of story do you have for us based on culture? Okay, so... Culture for me is massive, but my the work that I um, would be more comfortable with is things around Te Ao Māori, which is the world of Māori. So I'm Māori myself and have um, quite a long history in working in early childhood and um, supporting staff and families to develop things Māori. And we have uh, had an issue in our centre around Tonga, which is um, could be a pendant or a greenstone pendant, or could be a bone carving, um, and they're often worn as a necklace, and um, they're called tonga, which is treasure, so a, yeah, a tonga, a treasure that has been gifted to a child, and it's often greenstone or bone, yeah, so that's what it's about. Right, so what happened here? in your case? Well, um, so back in the centre that I was in, there was a policy around um, uh, neck adornments, um, they, they had to be removed when children went to sleep and the, it was reasonable to understand the background of it because they didn't want children to choke um, and these are necklaces and it, it and, um, covers things like amber beads too um, but I was really uncomfortable with the removal of um, things like tonga like those green stones and the um, bone carvings that children have and um, we did have young Indian children too who um, had, I think it's a piece of cotton that they would wear around the neck too and we, I was really uncomfortable about removing them. However, the person who was the centre, uh, team leader in the room where the infants were 
um, she was following this policy and I said to her, before you remove anything like that, just ask the parents because you can't remove Tonga without the permission of the parents because often they've been blessed and they've been given to that child for a purpose and they're not removed at home. Oh, right. So what, yeah. What did happen, though, is that she was removing the Tonga and she hadn't gotten permission from the parent. Oh, no. Yes, and it was a bit uncomfortable. It was um, a little bit... And it, it, it was a struggle between the policy and cultural understanding and... Um, the policy, the company was trying to protect themselves and obviously the child, but not understanding that these children would be wearing cultural, this, the Tonga at home. Anyway, what happened was this, I've been continually telling this parent, this staff member to ask the parent. She felt uncomfortable asking the parent and in one particular day, she took the green stone off the child went to pop it in a, um, the cubby hole where the child's clothes are and she dropped it on the floor and the green stone broke in half. Oh, God. So, yeah, that was pretty devastating. Oh, oh my goodness, yeah. So I guess you have two two different stories to now tell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, from that point, um, she came to me and told me what had happened I said to her, I've told you you needed to talk to the parent before you take this off. Mm -hmm. And um, it got really complicated. She parked our um, teacher and she was like, well, what do I do? And I said to her, you, needed to, you need to ring the parent and have a conversation with the parent about it. parent was really upset, um, got quite antsy and said that um, my grandfather, who's, my, who's passed away, had blessed that green stone and it's the only one. And then there was... A lot of um, discussion around how to deal with this now. Can we get it fixed? How do we, um, we, we would need to pay for the repair of this green stone as a centre and how could we manage it? Um, yeah, so it just ended up being really uncomfortable for that family and for the, um, for the staff member, the team leader who's park here. But the other layer to this is as a Māori person myself, I learned that I had not supported that Pākehā teacher because what I did was I, I was angry with her, and this is my learning, I was angry with her for not following through on what I wanted, what I had stated to ask the parent. And I said, you talk to the parent because I wanted her to take accountability for it. Mm -hmm. However... I look back now and as a Māori woman and a Māori myself, I shouldn't have put her in that situation with this Māori parent because she didn't know how to deal with it, the, the teacher. I should have gone in and spoken to her as Māori to Māori and unpack, and unpack it. So I didn't end up supporting the teacher from a Māori perspective and I didn't end up supporting the parent from a Māori perspective and the whole thing just got really, really busy. <laughs> but I yeah. think I can understand that as a, like, from the teacher's point of view, her values were in the right place. Um, she was really just looking after the child and she just wanted to exactly. kind of tick the box because, I mean, you don't know what's um, for decoration and what has value. Um, and some parents are quite light with this kind of stuff. It just could have been something that the child picked up. And... Um, yeah, it's really hard to tell what really has that value, but um, I guess it's really unfortunate that it ended up being broken as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was lots of um, levels of um, 
difficulty in this. Firstly, the policy was um, unconsulted, like there was no consultation. And I was pretty new to the the job and I was feeling my way as to how to make a difference in these areas. And, and the policy was uninformed culturally. So there's one layer. Um, the next layer was the conversation I had with the team leader about the significance of these tonga and to ask for permission before removing them. So there's a layer there that we had had that conversation, but she didn't feel comfortable to say that or have that conversation, so it never happened. Then there's the next layer that it just carried on without her telling me, and then when there was a break, the role of my role in the centre as a Māori um, representative, I, I didn't support her in a situation that was culturally um, explosive. So I guess in a situation where I might have a Samoan family who's been offended, I wouldn't put myself in that position. I would go to my Samoan teacher and say, can you help me with this to work with this family? Because I'm not sure how to work through it, maybe. And that, I let this teacher do it by herself because I had my own concerns about her not following through and needing to be accountable for her actions. So there's another layer to it. But ultimately, this family was left um, with this tonga that was broken and was significant. Yeah, it was so many levels that um, mm, yeah. needed to be unpacked. <clears throat> and there was a learning in that too, that the fact that policies are normally based on health and safety and other kinds of things, that yes, it also yeah. needs to incorporate culture and cultural values, especially in a country like New Zealand. Absolutely. This kind of feedback is really vital, especially when we're writing policies. And now on to our second caller. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so we hear that you may have a story for us surrounding um, culture. Yes, I do. Yeah. It's a little bit different um, in a cultural way, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's about um, baby wearing and does it have a place in early childhood centres? Did you just um, say baby wearing? Baby wearing, yes. Uh, could, what does that mean? I'm sorry <laughs> for my ignorance, but what does that mean? What is that? Um, so baby wearing is wearing a baby in either like a sling or they have things like a mai tai or a soft structured wrap that you have baby in and you you know tie it securely. Oh right, right, that. right. Yeah. Awesome. So nice. On you. <laughs> good, good, good. That makes sense. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, but you can be hands free. So a lot of parents obviously do, especially mm-hmm. parents have multiple children. Obviously, it means that you're hands free, but the baby's still close to you and feeling secure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have so you? We've, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um. Ha, have you had a request um from a parent that asked if teachers um could could do kind of baby wearing at the center or how did the request come up? Yes, we've had it from both angles. Um, we've had it from a parent um that was enrolling a little baby, so under five months. Um, and baby was born at home, and obviously. Mum has to go back to work, but she's a bit anxious about baby being in an environment with a lot of older children, um, and was requesting if you know if her primary caregiver would be open to baby wearing, um, you know, especially during settling times. Um, you know, if you obviously done the right way and you know making sure that you know would she teach us how to carry and if it'd be something that we were open to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a bit 
interesting because it's not something i mean that we've come across before and it's kind of a gray area i guess in ACA because it's not really say anywhere in the regs that you can't do it but it's not something that you see so it's a bit yeah it's quite thought-provoking for us to kind of think about yeah i'm still trying to get around that term it's kind of funny for me to think about baby wearing but um, yeah (laughs) but um no i get it i get it it um it must be a very common practice but it must be very um like a i can see it being being a parent child thing as for a teacher child thing i don't know How, how does your staff feel about it um a mixture so it really like some of my staff are all for it because like they're saying anyway especially with a new settling baby you do spend a lot of one-on-one time you know nurturing that child and you know we're under the right philosophy so they're not ever put in a situation position they can't get into on their own but when those children are settling they're spending a lot of one-on-one you know time you know cuddling them spending you know that moment those care moments with them so if they couldn't have them in a wrap that they're used to and they feel secured that way then you know would it help that bond yeah, I, I, my I other teachers think it's a bit strange to have a baby wrapped to your body that's not yours. So I guess it depends on the person, really. Yeah, does the, does this come from a um, cultural angle, from a, a teacher's point of view? Like, is there some teachers from certain cultural background that are kind of receptive to it, where others are not, or is it just everyone has a mixed feeling and it's got nothing to do with where they come from or what they have done in the past? I just, I don't. I think I feel. With, like, culturally, a lot of, um, some of my teachers, it's very common practice to carry your babies in a wrap in their home country, so they don't see it being weird at all. They think it's very normal. Um, a lot of my, my teachers that are parents themselves think it's fine because they baby wear themselves, so that there is a problem. But my teachers that don't have children or, you know, they, they're the ones that are thinking it's a little bit strange because they've never had any experience with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, it yeah, is a very absolutely. tricky um, place to be. Yeah, it's not something yeah. I've really ever um, come across before. Was there any specific reason? I know it's, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling it too. I quite don't even know how I feel about this. Um, the concept yeah. is quite new to me. Um, I mean, I've seen it, but I've never heard the term. Besides feeling a bit weird or uneasy, is there any like health and safety reasons why um, this should not be done in a centre that you can think of? Well, the the comments that like my teachers kinda that we did talk about brought up were saying, you know, if the baby's in a wrap and you had to run to another child, then it would be unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you were to fall over and your ba- and the baby had strapped you, you know, those kind of scenarios. But at the same time, from another angle, you know, in a baby's room, you know, we've got such high ratios, it's not really an issue where you are having to run you know, in that situation. And if you were, the baby is securely against you in a wrap, so it wouldn't really be health and safety, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I um, I was also kind of thinking, like, um, I think in certain instances, accommodating different requests um, uh, sometimes works well for, for one request. But what if you had another parent join that? And then every teacher in the center was walking around with a baby strapped to them. Like, what would that look like? Yeah. Like, welcome to our center. Like, <laughs> Yeah, in that case, it might be, it might be a bit strange if everyone's going to baby stuck to them. Um. I think it's sweet though. I think I think the visual is really sweet. I think that 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 fact that you get that really really intimate care is really sweet. But visually having like a whole bunch of teachers, 
I think it's more like, I guess it was like some little babies, you know, like if it's those younger babies that are coming in, I don't think it would be as much of an issue because those are the little ones and it's not that often that you get such little babies in, you know, in a centre. Well, thank you so much. Um, It's nice because we've had examples where um, I guess teachers and centre managers have somewhat arrived at a conclusion Mm -hmm. that made sense, but this is quite a refreshing one because I don't think anyone here actually knows what's the right or the wrong, which is fine because you've already declared it's a grey area. It'd be an interesting yeah. thing to get feedback as to what others think um, about this or if any of the centre in New Zealand is actually actively practising this. It'll be quite nice to hear back from people. Hopefully we get yeah. some comments on this. Thank, no, thank you and I will be listening and waiting to hear feedback to see if, yeah, if we can get some guidance on you know what we should do as well. So. Yeah, let's look forward Absolutely. to that. Thank you so much and we're off to cool. our next caller. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, I hear that you've got a little bit of a story to tell when it comes to cultural conflicts. Yeah, so we've just had a um, little boy start at my centre. We'll call him Ben for this call. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and he, um, he's of a different culture. He is Chinese. Um, and, yeah, and his when he's, when he's first come to enrol, his mum has asked us to call him Ben. Um, however... I've worked with this kind of uh, this culture before in previous situations in different families and everything, and so I thought I would ask um, if he had a different name. Um, and yeah, and and Mum told me that at home he is called something else, and that she has never actually called him Ben before. Oh, oh yes, true. Yeah. Chinese names they have English names that they use at school as well, so. That's right, yeah, and that's that's what her thought was, is that like when she said, um, "This is Ben," um, and I, yeah, I began calling him Ben, but he wasn't kind of answering at all or anything. I, um, I thought I'd ask just in case, yeah, he had a different name, and she said, "Oh yeah, we call him something else at home, um, but we want him to get used to Ben because he's going to be going to school." Um, yeah. How old? How old is he? He's just turned two. <laughs> oh, oh, so he definitely does recognise his old name, like he's accustomed to his Chinese name being his name. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so in that situation, I kind of, um, yeah, I kind of talked to the mum about um, if, if, he, if she was happy for us to use his, his Chinese name while he was here as well. Um, and she seemed, you know, she was quite... Um, I guess, enthusiastic about him being just called Ben while he was here. Um, however, so I had this conversation with her and just talked about how um, in, like, with him just being new here and everything and still needing to settle in, uh, that it would be good if we could call him his Chinese name a little bit um, while he's settling. Um, and she seemed really responsive to that, yeah. That's great. Yeah, this is a really interesting example for us because most of our examples are people from different cultural um, background trying to bring their culture into that centre, whereas here, and this is more, we want to move away from that um, that name, we want to bring a new name, we want to, um, to adjust. Yeah, yeah, this is a quite a different example. So what are your strategies in terms of getting him used to being identified as Ben? Yeah, so currently um, we are, like as a team, we've just, we started off just calling him Ben and we found that he was just, you know, not really helping him settle. Um, he was not um, answering to, to Ben at all and stuff like that. 
Um, and, and this little boy hadn't had a chance to have any visits really before he started. Um, it was quite an emergency situation that he had to come into the centre anyway. Um, but yeah, so... Um, where was I going with that? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Um, so he's brand new. Um, he's not used to the childcare atmosphere at all. He's definitely not used to your centre. He's not used to anyone else. Yeah. And here you are calling him by something that he's not used to as well. He's um, like, these people are whack. <laughs> where am I? What are we doing? And why, are they keep, why do they keep calling me then? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's exactly. quite yeah. confusing for him. Yeah. But how does it sit with yeah. your philosophy, though? Like, I know that um, ECE teachers, um, from my experience with them, they go out of their way to make sure that the person's culture is really, really um, cut, like it, it exists in that center. That child's environment is full of that culture. So, what did? How did it sit with you as an ECE teacher? Yeah. So, as an ECE teacher, I was just, I was kind of. Like I knew what to expect from from this family to an extent because I have worked with lots of Chinese families before and they yeah and they have had um, the exact same kind of situation happen where um, the mum or the parents have have said this is their English name and we want you to call them that um, and then we've found out later um, kind of a bit too late I guess that um, that they've got another name so so I kind of from the beginning I wanted to know just because I wanted to show that little boy. Um, respect, you know, and to show him that we do care and that we do know who he is um, and things like that. So, yeah, so that's kind of why I went out of my way to ask for that um, Chinese name and be able to talk to him and call him by his Chinese name. Um, And, yeah, and, like, some strategies that we've kind of put in place from that conversation, I guess, is um, as teachers, we're all kind of just talking to him and saying, his Chinese name and then following it with Ben so that he gets that kind of, okay, I do actually know that you're talking to me. But there's this <laughs> Ben person that you kept referring, but eventually, oh, I'm this Ben yeah. person that you keep talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so he's been here a couple of weeks now and it sounds like, it seems very much so like he's settling in and he's, he's actually answering kind of to Ben now as well. So oh, <laughs> really good. that's so lovely. So he fully mm-hmm. identifies himself as Ben. I think mostly at this point. <laughs> I think at home he's still called his Chinese name, and here we still kind of call him um, his Chinese name to an extent as well. But yeah, but he's definitely answering now through Ben occasionally. Like if you, if you just call him Ben, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think of the scale of this conflict within this child because I came here when I was seven, and that itself was like a huge. Um, every time I go to school, I was exposed to something that was completely different to my home environment. Um, but for a two-year-old to have even a different name, that must be like yeah. living two different lives and trying to make it work as a two-year-old. Yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. Like for him, for him himself, that must be really confusing and scary and everything. And um, like I said, there was a bit of an emergency for when he actually enrolled anyway. So, you know, life at home had just been turned upside down. And then, um, yeah, and then on top of that, coming into a centre where he didn't know any of the teachers and any of the other children and then being called a different name. <laughs> it was um, probably quite traumatic or, or terrifying anyway, you know, scary for him. So... Yeah. Well, well done to you um, for and your team for making that work and getting him through that journey. And thank you so much for sharing this. This is definitely a different um, different piece of the puzzle when it comes to culture. Cool.
Cool. Yeah, no, that was all good. <laughs> I hope you guys have a good day. So the next caller is here with us. The topic is culture versus conduct. So where has culture made it difficult for you to do your job? Now, do you have a similar story to share? Yeah, so um, it was probably a couple of years ago. We had uh, one particular family um, that was Japanese um, that had a young baby about five months old um, that had started in the centre and they were being here for probably about three or four weeks. Um, and they had come to pick their child up one afternoon and noticed that their child was lying on the floor on a on a nice mat, having you know some um, some time to play on the mat. It was a non-mobile baby, so they weren't crawling or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and with our philosophy, you know, we allow the natural movement for children and allow that time when they're happy. They've had their food, they've had their bottles, they've had their sleep. They're happy. Um, to have those times lying on the ground and have um, that freedom to be able to learn to move and, and play. Um, but the family was um, upset about this because in their culture or their family culture, um, they don't allow the children to be on the floor um, for the first year of their life. As in so, like not um, on the floor by themselves or just not on the floor full stop? Not on the floor at full stop. So they baby wear, oh, wow. so they wear them carrying around all day long. Um, and so this was something that I'd never come across before. Um, so I needed to get more information from the family about, you know, what were what was their um, reasons behind it, what was... Yeah, you know, definitely. So idea. what was the reasons? I think it's to do with attachment parenting. I think it's to do with the fact that they want their child to be carried in closeness and have that... Um, um, that need to be close to them um, all the time. They didn't say that they felt that um, it was cold, you know, um, socially cold to have the child just lying on the floor um, playing. Um, like we had a teacher next to them and the teacher was interacting with the child so they're not just lying on the floor by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more just the parents in their family culture, they have the child close to them and carry them around all the time. The only time that they're not with them is when they may be sleeping. Um, but even then, they usually have co-sleeping situations or they sleep in a bassinet in the room. So oh. they're very close. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, so I kind of relate to that. I mean, culturally speaking, um, for us, the whole idea of the nursery is kind of a joke. Like, we see mm-hmm. it as a cute thing that parents paint their um, nursery and, you know, put together things, but we would never allow a child to be in a room by itself, possibly not until, like, they're five, which kind of yep. scares a lot of other people, I guess, because it's a norm to do that. But um, So yeah. they can't even leave the child, like, on a chair or nothing. They have to constantly be with the child as in carrying yeah. the child. Wow, wow. So, yes. so how, how did that um, work in your in your centre? Well, it was very difficult because we've got, obviously, ratios of one to four. So, you know, you can't have one child having one teacher all the time. Um, so, it is, you know, it is quite difficult and it's not realistic to be able to carry a child around um, all day long when you've got other children's nappies to change and other children to put to bed. So we, um, I did have a big conversation with the parents, um, mostly at first to actually to gather the information from them about their reasons why and um, what we could do in the centre to help 
them to feel like we're respecting their wishes, but also to um, also make sure that the teachers aren't also wearing their backs out um, and also not ignoring or leaving the other children to fend for themselves when we're having to carry a child around. So it was really just a lot of learning and a lot of conversation with the parents to be able to gain their trust um, that, you know, we're, we're respecting their wishes. Yeah, wow. That must have been a bit of a difficult one to accommodate. I mean, the first time I heard it, I thought it was just, you know, leaving a baby on the floor. But if you're required to carry the baby at all times, then that um, makes it, yeah, that yeah. does make it quite difficult. Yeah. Um, mm. What were kind of the strategies that, that you arrived at with the parents? Um, were they kind of understanding in terms of um, kind of the center ratios or, or was there kind of some, some tricky conversations in there? Yeah, there definitely was some tricky conversations and I think they didn't quite understand at the start about what the ratios meant and um, that there were other options. Um, so we did um, have a conversation about the other options that are out in um, terms of childcare, so having a nanny or going to sort of right. a home education, there might be more of that opportunity for one-on-one, -on -one. Yeah. Um, but they wanted to keep the socialisation. So um, they wanted to keep them coming to a daycare centre for that socialisation of being with other children. They didn't want it to be fully one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. I was um, just um, thinking, because you said that the parents spotted the child on the floor next to the teacher and then they got upset. So I'm just thinking, so they're Japanese um, parents. Um, if they got upset and they never told you guys about it, they must have thought it's normal across all cultures, right? That... Um, that it must have been a normal thing for everyone to do that you guys weren't doing if they were getting upset on the first yeah. encounter? Was that the case? I think so. I think that's when, um, yeah, the conversation we had, um, they were, they didn't realise that it was done differently in different yeah. places or with different families or that's because that's just what they've always known. Their mother did yeah. that to them and their, you know, the grandmother carried their mother and it's a generation of, the same thought yeah, pattern. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really big learning curve for myself and for the parents um, to kind of understand that there are different ideas out there and that there are different ways of doing things. I was just um, telling um, Chelsea with cultural practices, um, it's just it's one thing, the cultural practices, but the cultural values that associate to these practices may be very, very deep. And it's really, and if it's the norm for you, you forget to mention it as well. Like you forget to make a special yes. request because according to you, this is not a special request. This is the normal way of doing it. So as a parent, you forget to make that mention. As a teacher, you forget to ask the questions as well. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, um, because you know, like you said, it's just, it's just the norm for you, so you don't even think that, oh, they might do it differently, um, to even mention it on the, you know, the about me form or in the first conversations that you're having when you're starting at the centre, so, yeah, yeah definitely um, brought new learning to me to make sure that, you know, I am asking those questions about, you know, what their, their family values are and, and that sort of thing, so that I can make sure that we are respecting those family values and those family culture um, ideas as well. With all that to take in, let's jump to our next call. Now, culture doesn't necessarily come from a different country. It could also rise from religion. Hi. Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing? 
Well, thank you. Good, good. Um, so we, we've heard that you might have an example to share with us that surrounds culture at your centre. Mm-hmm. So not so much culture, but more so in regards to religion. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Jehovah Witnesses not celebrating Christmas or Easter. As oh, it's right. That they don't believe in. They don't believe in what, sorry? In Christmas or Easter. So they don't celebrate Christmas or Easter. Oh, right. So parents pretty much pull the kids out during those celebrations or what? what's the kind of conflict in the centre? So, so in, uh, in my experience, the children have still attended over these times. Um, however, the parents have requested that they don't engage in um, learning experiences happening in the classroom around those festivals. Oh, but um, I'm just thinking that centres are normally like covered in Christmas decos and it's a pretty big deal, right? So it must be quite hard to selectively leave out a child from participating and find that balance kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely is hard. I guess it goes against our, our kind of philosophy of excluding children. You know, we would never exclude children typically. Um, I guess there are, depending on on the families, there are some ways around it and that if the children were painting a Christmas tree or um, a, a, an art activity like that, then you could just give the child a plain piece of paper. Mm. So there are some times where, where you can easily manage it. Mm. However, uh, when all the children come together and are singing Christmas carols, it, it's not easy to, to exclude from that. Mm, especially things like presents and like I think you guys always have like a Santa Claus coming or just different things like that decorations sure absolutely so obviously for anything outside of Christmas hours like Christmas parties and things like that the, the families wouldn't attend them with the child but definitely when they come when it's in section time uh, it can be really tricky. Often if there's um, multiple classrooms, you can move them into another classroom, but often things are happening in the other classrooms as well. Yeah, they must be surrounded. I mean, that's one of the holidays I think we're surrounded by it. Like, yeah. What sure. about um, what about the child in this? Like, um, I think that, you know, as an adult, um, you can understand um, where people come from. Um Mm. Like, I think what we're trying to say is that for children, it's not really a religious celebration, more so just a celebration. Like mm. they just, they probably just sure. like the colors, the presents, the tree, the lights, and it's they don't really have a religious perspective on Christmas. It's just a great chance mm. to have fun and explore with colors. So, how does a child kind of feel in this whole picture? I think, for me personally, in my experience, I don't know that the children read too much into it on both sides so the children who if you can kind of give them that blank piece of paper or if you can get them busy doing something else I guess you know you can try and disguise it a little bit like that Mm -hmm. and in regards to it being in the environment I guess it's in the environment everywhere it's at the supermarket it's down Mm -hmm. the main street like it's so I can only imagine and hope that the families are talking about it with the children at home. Uh, In my experience, I've not had to explain to a child why they're not engaging with the other children so they have understanding. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it sounds like you've done a really great job in terms of um, keeping things balanced and still really inclusive and that, you know, it's not, they're missing out on something, but they, they get the opportunity to do something else. So I think, yeah, it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's a really great um, way to do that. And in this example, I can really see that parents would um, spend that time to explain it because as like, like you said, it's not just going to be the childcare center. It's in the supermarket. It's, um, it's everywhere. It's on TV. Like every TV show is about Christmas and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the the tricky times are when you have to explain to the other children. Right. um, why the why that child's constantly not joining in, or why that child goes somewhere different, or um, in a in a really tricky situation is when they're older, and there's been a clump of birthday parties, and so this child's been invited to four or five birthday parties in the last two months, and and doesn't attend, and so the other children start questioning why. So then to explain to preschool children about what their beliefs are and, and why they're not going to the birthday parties or why they're not engaging in those things, I think that's a little bit more trickier. Yeah, yeah. I never thought of it that way. Like Even all of the topics that we've covered today, there's the child that wants to bring in that culture with them, but there's like 30 other children that are confused about what they're seeing because that sure. it is also conflicting with a culture of their own. Um, and they don't understand. Yeah. yeah, and I think the parents are great about it because the parents are choosing to attend a centre um, with different values and different beliefs. So uh, several times before, I've actually asked the parents what they want me to say to their child or what do you want me to say to the other children who are asking why. And often, because I don't come from a religious background, often it's just really clear for me just to get really good direction from the parents. And and then you're not offending anybody because you're just sharing the information straight from the family. Mm. I'm just trying to think of it as a child in New Zealand, right? You're just surrounded by so many different beliefs and so many different Mm. religions. I mean, it's great like when you really embrace it but starting off could be quite difficult like just understanding why it's different everywhere definitely and it's that understanding um you know you can be told so many times but if that's not what happens at your house or that's not what normally happens at preschool then it's hard to understand why all of a sudden it's different for somebody Awesome. That sums up our second episode. Visit our Facebook page, Evolve Careers, for an update on our next podcast topic. Our Facebook page is full of innovative ideas, creations from our amazing centers, and some current vacancies. So be sure to check it out. If you'd like to take part in our podcast, please email us on careers at eeg.co.nz. Until then, this is Sean and Chelsea from Evolve Education Group. 